Well, I want to welcome you to Fuel Church today. If this is your first time here. My name's Shane. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're culminating a series today on worship. And um, we offer the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Um, and, and those of you who know my story, I have, I've had some struggle with that. You know, I, I first didn't like it very often because... Uh, you know, I didn't want to lose its meaning and make sure people have adequate amount of time <clears throat> to examine themselves. Uh, and then God convicted me and compelled me that you ought to examine yourself all the time, so what's better than every week? And um, But anyway, we've been doing a series on what worship is not and what worship is, and we've discovered some things that, you know, a lot of people think worship is music. And um, and it's not, worse, uh, music's a part, uh, but, you know, most people, you ask them what is worship, and they say music. And um, we have a unique draw here at Fuel Church because we offer different things musically. And so I thought, you know, let's have a series up front about worship. And uh, But because we offer the Lord's Supper every Sunday... Uh, I wanted to culminate this series with talking about that as an act of worship and, and how uh, honoring and remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ is an act of worship. <clears throat> if you have a Bible and want to follow along with me, I'm going to just remind ourselves of that scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll read verses 23 through 29. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. This is Paul talking. For I received from the Lord, while I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You know, the Lord's Supper is a symbol of something, is a symbol of something that is to be remembered. And, and the unique thing about having a symbol of, for things that you remember is that you can't remember something you never did. And so if you haven't been somewhere, you can't remember that. And I, and I brought an example today. Uh, this is a prized possession in our house. My wife probably freaks out when I grab it like that. Uh, those of you who know the story of our son uh, who was very sick and, and passed away, in the hospital while we were there, uh, before we went to the hospital, the last day that we had to just really have fun with him, we went to the zoo. And the giraffes were put away that day, and so we couldn't see the giraffes. And, uh, you know, it's no big deal, really. But later on, when, whenever uh, we were getting ready to, to, to have his surgery and some things like that, I... You, you, when you get in that phase, and if you've been there, you'll do. You're in. You go in the "I'll do anything" mode. And so I said, "Hey Nate, what do you what do you want? I'll buy you anything you want. What do you want?" And uh, I was kind of hoping he'd said Harley Davidson, but he didn't. Uh, 
still working on that. Uh, but he said a giraffe. I want a giraffe. And I mean, this is like something that he's never said. And all we could do is figure out, because we didn't see the giraffes that day, uh, that that was what it was. I said, giraffe, all the things you can want. You want a giraffe, yeah. So anyway, we go downstairs to the gift shop. And, you know, the hospital gift shops, even if they're nice people, have giraffe this big for, you know, $48. And so anyway, you know, long story short, he became sicker. Uh, he passed away, and so after that, giraffes took on a whole new meaning to us. And so anyway, on the way home, uh, we were in a, we stopped at a truck stop, gift shop, something another, and we saw, and this giraffe was in there, and my wife said, well, we got to get that giraffe. And I said, okay. And so we got the giraffe, and I know it's, I know it's whatever material this is. doesn't tell us. I bet you can guess where it's made, can't you? Uh it's material, and, and, and as a matter of fact, this is the people that know us know this is so special that Eric, he's one of our sound guys back there. When they they helped, when I was at a conference, they helped my wife move to our new house in Poto. And I, from what I understand, Eric took this in the front of the truck with him because he didn't want anything to happen to it. So we appreciate that, and that's awesome. And we know it's just a material item, and but it's a symbol to us of some things that we've experienced, and it's some things that we know, and so it, it stays back in our bedroom, and we just kind of have it there and stuff like that. But here's the thing. You, you, even though I told you that story, and even though I've relayed those things to you, and even though you may think giraffes are cool, you can't know that giraffe like I do because you hadn't walked that road that I walked. You can't understand what a, that story can mean to me exactly because you're not me. And, and you haven't experienced that unless you've experienced that in your life. And, and the Lord's Supper is the same thing. You see, the Lord's Supper is a place where we take that bread and we take a piece of it and we remember, as Scripture tells us, that remember the body that was broken for us. And then we take the drink of the the juice, and we, and we have that as a symbol of the blood that was shed for us. And if you have not come to the place where you've understood the salvation that's available in Jesus Christ and accepted that into your life and, and received that from God, then you can't, you can't celebrate something that you don't know. And, I, and, and you, you and I maybe both know people that, you know, do stuff like that. They try to do things that are not true and things that are not real, but the, the, the Lord's Supper is a symbol. It is an ordinate symbol for, I could say, man, I, I, you know, Jesus did do that for me. Jesus did die on the cross for me, and I have a place now where I can remember that. And, and, and the neat thing about that scripture, it doesn't say once a month, once a week, once a quarter. It just says every time you do it, remember, do it and remember it to me. And so don't it's like, don't take it lightly, but just know that it has a purpose. It has a purpose in remembering what God did for you. And I think about what happened on this night, you know, when Jesus was there. And a little side, a little theological flip for you here. That night that Jesus is laying out, which, you know, we've, we call the Last Supper, if you will, Judas is there. You know, the, the, the person who is going to betray Jesus into the hands of the people that would crucify him. Of course, and our sin is what put him there. Judas, the person who's going to be the tool at which all that transpires, is sitting there and participating in this event. And, I mean, God knows. Jesus knows. I mean, he knows that. 
But I can't imagine what it feels like if you're Judas, knowing that you are not going to have a participation in that intimate relationship that could be taken to another level, but yet you're walking this journey. And, and that's what I kind of feel right now all over our country this morning. There are people who will walk up to a table similar to this, take that bread, take that juice, and they never have known Jesus for a second of their life. And I, I, I can't imagine what that feeling is like. And here's, here's my point there. That feeling will never go away. That feeling of, because those people will be up there and they'll know something is not right in my life. Something is missing in my life. Something is disconnected in my life. And what I want to say is it will never, never, never go away until they plug that hole with the right piece. I was talking to a guy last night, and if I said his name, many of you know who he was. And this guy is trying to find everything he can find to plug it into the hole that it don't fit. Relationships, money, things, whatever. And I've been there too. But until you put Jesus in the place that he wants to be in your life, it will continue to feel weird. It will continue to never feel right. And if you walk to that table and say, and try to remember something that you've never partaken in, you know, I mean, you know, people on the fleshy level would just say, well, that's absurd. That's what they would say. It'd be absurd. You know, how can you remember? It'd be like you trying to say to me, oh, yeah, I remember that when Nate and the draft and all that. No, well, I'd say, no, you don't. That's absurd. And here's the thing. You can't remember something that you've never partaken in, but you can come to the place where you know the Jesus I know, and from that moment on, walk in those footsteps. And so Jesus is sitting there that night, and he's telling them all these things, and he's saying, basically, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to pay for the sin of the world. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. And I said, you know what, this, this is like, it's like having a funeral before you die. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but it's like all the, oh, hey, guys, this is what's going to happen, and, 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 you know, all the disciples were like, no way, Jesus, it couldn't be, and all that, and, of course, he was saying, some of you are going to betray me, and they're like, it's going to be, it's not going to be me, and, you know, and he's talking about Peter going to deny him, oh, no, Jesus, I, I would never deny you. I mean, what, what, what would you say to your family and friends and coworkers and schoolmates and all those things if, if tonight you knew tomorrow you would not be here? And what, what is it that you would pass on to them? And I hope that I hope that I hope that it would be some things that they could hang on to eternally. You see, what Jesus has done here is he's given us a, a symbol. He's saying, listen, take this br- bread that was broken for you, and remember it that way. And every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And take this juice, and every time you participate in that, remember the blood that was shed for you. You see, the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he did come, that he did, uh, that he did die on the cross for us, and that he did rise again, is the greatest story of all time. It is the greatest story of all time. Our calendar sits on Jesus Christ. B.C. and A.D. is Jesus. And everywhere you go, interwoven into the fabric of everything we could know, be, see, or do, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you run into people, there's only three choices that you have when you look at Jesus. And some of you who've watched the videos we filmed, we've asked them. We went out to the park and just asked them. 
You know, people say Jesus is one of three things. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. What is he? And I mean, you get a little bit of everything. I mean, that's just the world we live in. But here's the thing. For those of us who have said, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and I take him in my life and I say, yeah, Jesus, I want to serve you. I want you to be the one who's the king and the Lord and number one in my life. What he's done here the night that he was betrayed is set out for all time a symbolic remembering event that we can do anytime. And we can come and take that bread and we can come and take that juice and remember a symbol of remembrance of the greatest thing that's ever happened to mankind ever. I mean, it's, 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 it's awesome enough to just have Jesus. To, I mean, obviously, that's, you know, one of my phrases, get on Jesus and head out. That's all you need to do. But to have this moment, which is, to me, is wrapped in beauty. I love that video we just saw. I mean, the way they set that video up was, was, was nice because it, it, it typifies and it symbolizes how awesome and beautiful it is that Jesus did it and gave us a way to remember and tell everybody else that if they'll choose Jesus, they can remember the greatest thing that's ever happened. The gospel is the good news, and why not tell people? I have this picture here. I have no idea who these people are. I was not sure in our first service this morning, and I asked my wife in the middle of the service, I thought we had this for a year without putting a picture in it. She says two years. When we have a disorder in our household and we're looking for a cure for it, we have a lot of frames that we don't put our own pictures in. I don't know what it is, but... I mean, we'll go to the store. Hey, let's buy picture frames. And for some reason, this cloud of darkness falls over us and we buy more. I have picture frames in my closet, under my bed. I have one that has six things on it, little spots in it. It's hanging in the hallway. There's nothing in it. It looks really cool hanging there, but I'm waiting on somebody to go, hey, what's that? Is that a piece of art or what is that? Anyway. We got this, I guess, for our anniversary a couple years ago. This is not me and my wife. I've never had cool hair like that. Uh, I say all that to say this. This is, you know, you buy these picture frames. They come with pictures already in them. You know, you get the predisposed, we made money to make this picture people. And if I take this and I go in my house to my entertainment center and I go, and I put it up there, and I try to live it like that's, that's us, and that's our family, and that's our people, and that's, and people come by and go, oh, is that y'all? Yeah, that's a nice picture, isn't it? I mean, that's silly. And if, guys, you know, we get the wallet, and it's got the already, you wish that was your family picture in it? You know, you know three kids, a puppy dog, 2.5 cars, and, you know, whatever. That's silly. That would be silly for me to set that up and say, see, at least the one in the hall don't have people in it. It just got nothing. Anyway, I'm going to pay for that later. I'm going to have to find pictures to put in it tonight, right? It's going to be my job. Uh, I know where the picture box is now. I cleaned the garage yesterday. But you, you get that up there, that'd be silly, and it's just as silly. Listen to me. To come to this table, this table's a good thing. You need to understand me. This is a good thing. And 
This is not a table to shy away from if you know Jesus. It's a good thing. We are, it's a celebration. It is something that we'll never stop doing until we leave this earth. And then the Bible says, when we leave this earth, we get to do it with him. And we have to participate with the children sometimes. But you can't remember that if you don't know Jesus. You can't remember something you never did. You just can't. Now, here's the weird thing. My experience is this, is that Satan is a liar. The Bible says he is. And he's trying to steal, and he's trying to kill, and he's trying to destroy you in your life. And because of that, he will convince you of things that aren't true. Oh, you know, man, you know, you know all those things about Jesus. You learned them when you were, when you were four in Sunday school and in uh, children's time and all that stuff. You just go ahead and do that. Here's a better one. Because he's a liar, he will perpetuate the lies in your life till you believe them. You remember uh, when we were kids and parents, some of us are becoming our parents, and it scares me. I mean, I caught myself the other day going, shut the door, we're not air conditioning the whole neighborhood. And then I was like, did I just say that? Wow, that's my dad right there. But one of the things that our parents used to say to us and we tell our kids is if you tell, tell lies enough, you start believing them. If you live a lie enough, you start believing it. And here's the thing. Satan would love nothing more than for you to believe something that is not true in the arena of whether or not you know Jesus Christ. Because, see, that, because it's the greatest story of all history, because it's the greatest story that's ever landed in our lap, because it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to mankind, he would love for you to think that that's something you participated in when you haven't. Jesus kind of told us that that would happen, and so he made a statement in John chapter 14 that says this, I'm the way. I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and nobody gets to God except through me. He, he kind of nailed that down for us right there. He said, that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going it's to have to, you're going to have to know that because Satan's going to try to tell you, if I'm just a good enough person, I'll get to heaven. This is my favorite one. I promise you, more than anything else than I've ever heard when I'm in the grocery store line or somewhere like that, and I say, so you think you go to heaven when you die? Yeah. Why is it that you think you go to heaven? And I promise you, seven out of ten times, I get this. I've never killed nobody. And so the wor Satan's working hard. I mean, because we have such big stuff in the world that's sinful to us. You know, right now, top headline, if you go on anynewsline.com, it's going to be probably in the top three. They finally caught that Marine who killed the pregnant girl. And it's captivating the world. Next line, going to be the polygamous sect in wherever, whatever state that was. And, 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 and so these people have, you know, in the media, we have it all before our eyes, and Satan has got the world tweaked just right where everything seems so big that when you're not in that, you feel like you're a good person. Oh, well, I never killed nobody. Only got one wife. Touchdown. I love you, honey. Them people are stupid having more than one wife. I'm going to tell you right now. I have plenty with one, right, guys? Nobody's going to say it. Y'all left me hanging, man. I'm going to have to eat bologna the rest of the week. 
But you get my point? I mean, that's a full-time job being married, period. Why don't you have 10 for? I don't know. Anyway. Twisted people. Solomon was twisted, so. We're going to preach on Solomon in a few months, so hang in there on that one. The neat thing that Paul says here is this, is there's a new covenant that sets in. And, you know, when one of my, one of my philosophies on Scripture reading is slow down. Slow down. And you can get a bunch in your belt and say, I read 27 chapters this week. But what did you get? What did you get out of it? And so I will act slow down because you see a new covenant there, and what I see about a new covenant is, is he wants you to get from this to this. He wants you to quit saying, okay, this is my life, and this is what I want it to be, and it could be so much more. And he wants you to understand you can have it. You can have life that's real and full and meaningful and sincere and honest because you can't remember something you've never had. And so you need to get out of the pretend and get into the real. And what Paul says there, he says, listen, his, God said, this is my body broke for you. And then he takes the cup and he says, and this is the new covenant in my blood that was shed for you. And so what that means, old covenant was, I don't know if you read Leviticus lately. That'll hurt your head. You talk about, and see, the old covenant was, here's a list of stuff you got to do. Here's all the things you got to do. Here's all the things you got to keep up with. Here's all the blocks you got to check. And people today are still trying to check a block and make God happy. They're still trying to do it. I love if you hadn't seen Otis's belt buckle. It's real big, and I'm going to steal it. And it says, no religion. And it's fun because people, people see us, and they talk to us about those things, and they're like, oh, I thought you were a church person or a Jesus person. What's with no religion? And then we explain to them, religion's killing people. The, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And, and, and people are, there's people here today who've checking their Sunday block. That's why they're here, supposed to go to church on Sunday. I think I'll go check out this place, and we'll go over here. There's people all over the country right now. They're checking off. It's part of their schedule. Brush my teeth, take a shower, eat breakfast, go to Walmart, go to church, go here. I mean, it's, it's on their list of stuff. And what the old covenant did was it said, here's all the things that you have to do. Our nature, insatiable desire inside of our body is to break rules. It's to break rules. The day the garden started, it set it in motion. I'll tell you right now, the cross of Jesus Christ proves God is the best guide we need for leadership because he already saw it in the garden, and so he planned the cross as a problem fixer. But listen, one time we were doing a youth camp, and they had this big lake out there. And it was a cool lake. But you walk up to the lake, and there's this sign, you know, about as big as this podium. But, I mean, it was big enough to get your attention, painted pretty and all that stuff. And, and you walk up to the sign, and the sign says, do not throw rocks in the lake. I mean, instantly I'm going. I'm overcome with this insatiable desire to throw a rock in that lake. I mean, I'm like. Is there people living under there? I mean, what, what's the reason? I'll leave it up to you whether or not I see a rock in there late. <laughs> but that's, I mean, we're wired like that. You don't have, I tell you every week almost, you don't have to teach your kids to lie. You don't have to, you know, we don't have to have a class on mashing the gas a little bit more when the speed limits is whatever it is. Oh, they give you four over here. You, got, you can do it. You know, we feel good about that. 
They told me, it's okay, four over. Still breaking the law, right? I just ruined somebody's day right there. Probably got a fish on your car, too. <laughs> Don't get a fish, you'll be all right. The new covenant, he says, listen, this, 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 all the doing and all the having to do, be and all the block checking and all that whatever that you have in your life that you think will satisfy God is over. The new covenant says this, Jesus satisfies. You get Jesus, you, got, you satisfied God's payment for sin. Because in the Levitical law, you had to check all these blocks and hope God didn't kill you. I mean, that's old and bummer, huh? I mean, that's a big old piece of bummer pie if you're like, I don't know if I can do this because I'm throwing rocks in the lake today, you know? New covenant, Jesus, death on the cross, satisfied the debt penalty, satisfies my separation from God forever. I accept that. I'm covered. And then I get this most awesome story of all mankind, of all history that's ever been. And then he gives me a way to celebrate it anytime I want. I spent years trying to plug that hole in my heart with junk, relationships, activities, money, belongings, family, you know, whatever, go to schools and jobs. And I mean, you could just, you can pile yourself to death because that's old, old covenant. You get in that old covenant mindset where you're thinking, I just get to the place where this will be right. And I'm going to tell you right now, I told you earlier, not only will it not feel right at this table, it will never feel right. Your life will never feel right until you plug the hole with what belongs there. That old song, God-shaped hole inside of all of us. I think Blaise Pascal actually wrote that originally. But you know, you grow up, and some of you remember, when I graduate high school, it's all going to be great. You got to work the rest of your life. I'm just going to tell you that right now, kids. You have to work the rest of your life. When I turn 21, put that in whatever category you want to, it's all going to be better. When I graduate college, it's all going to When I get married, it's all going to be better. When I have kids, it's all going to be better. When them kids finally leave home, <laughs> it's all going to be better. When I retire... It's all going to, free. you know, you're dead, and you're with Jesus, or you're not. You can't, all those things I just said are good things, and they're fun things, and they're awesome things, but the perspective that you have to rely on, man, can never be right without Christ. It can never be right without Christ, and sometimes we lose perspective of the cross because we let the things in our life muddy it up. We lose perspective. Right now, some of you probably have no clue. There's actually a cross on that floor right there. But because of the way the chairs are aligned, you can't t- probably tell that there's a cross there. We moved the chairs out of the way, screwed everything. You'd see this nice, pretty cross that we've had uh, in the floor here for us. And it happens in your life. Family takes over. Life takes over. Job takes over. Circumstances take over. And before long, you get to a, a process where we're talking about remembering the body and the blood of Christ and you're... And your brain's just wired on it, and you can't grasp it. You need to move from symbolic life fulfillment to total life fulfillment. And that's only found in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. 
If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've come to that place where the gospel tells us how to do that, and I just real quickly want to tell you the gospel from 1 Corinthians 15. And it's Paul. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So he says, this gospel, I, I preached it to you, and received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance. So Paul is telling us right here that it is a gospel is of first importance, not second, not third, not fourth. It's first. And the hardest thing that you will ever have in your life, guys and gals, is to understand that I love my wife, but she has to be second next to God. If you're going to get married, here's my first question I would pose to my future spouse. I would say, are you prepared to be number two in my life? Because God has to be first. And he says right there, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with what? The scriptures. That's why it's first importance, because the Bible says it. And I believe it. Number four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and what does it say? In accordance with the scriptures. And so it is of first importance that the gospel be told to the entire world. And what's in that gospel? Christ died, Christ buried, Christ rose. The Bible says it. It's of utmost importance. If you've come to the place where you've done that and said, hey, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. The Bible says he'll save you. It says he'll rescue you from yourself from the stuff that's from running around trying to plug that hole with everything but the right thing. If that's you today, you have an awesome opportunity to remember this. We do it every week, but today we want to focus on it. Give everybody a chance to just come up and, rem- and just examine yourself. Here's the thing. The Bible says also examine yourself before you come up. You may have some stuff in your life you need to get right. Today is the day. Quit waiting. Fix it. Say, God, you know, I missed the mark this week. I apologize. I confess that before you. God, forgive me. Let's start off on the right foot this week. Hey, so-and-so, you know, Granny, back in Canada, me and her is not right. And you know what, God, when I get home today, I'm going to call her and get those things fixed up with her. And I used to be the kind of guy to say, you need to fix all that before you come to the table. But the more I study, check this out. If you're saved, that puts you in right standing, first of all. But Satan would love more than to keep telling you a lie for you to come, not come up here today and spend more time focusing all your energy and all your time and thinking and dwelling and pondering upon everybody else's number two, number three, and number four are supposed to be and skip number one. He'd love for you to do that. And so here's my encouragement for you today. Some of you got some stuff you need to quit doing. Got some stuff you got participating in. You say you're a cross follower, don't have no business doing it, you need to quit. You stop. Stuff got a hold of you. You need to kick it to the curb and say, today's a new day. Maybe you got some relationships. You don't need to be in them. You need to, today, maybe, maybe there's relationships you need to start. Maybe there's habits you need to start, like getting in the Word in the morning and getting on your face before God and making sure that you are being missional to every person you come in contact with. The old covenant would have you believe. And Satan loves the old covenant. Oh, you just, you don't, you can't make it. You're not Jesus-y enough. Now, those of you who know me, probably the, mo- the number one comment that I get Monday through Saturday is, you're a pastor? 
right? Because they have the, I won't tell you the vision they have because that might be a, your pastor friend or something. Anyway, they have this vision in their eye that is a religious block check of what a pastor is supposed to be. They have this religious icon in their eyes of what you're supposed to be if you say you're a Christ follower. And Satan would love nothing more than for when you come in here on Sunday and when you participate in the time of remembering what he did for you on the cross and the body and the blood, he would love nothing more for you to skip that because he wants you to spend the rest of your day thinking about things that are supposed to be number three and number four and number five. If you're not right with your spouse, should you make a commitment to fix it? Yeah, you should. If you're not right with somebody at work, if you're not been being a good worker for your boss, should you make a commitment right here, right now to, to, to do better at that? Yeah, you should. But I want you to understand something. You fixed that right here this morning. You fixed that right here today and say, God, we need to fix that. Put your finger on what's wrong. I want to clear it up with you. And then after you work on that and pray for it, you get up and you come up here and you remember the most awesome event that's ever taken place. Now, if you're here today and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you how to do that. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes, everybody, just find a state of prayerfulness. We're about to have a time of worship through music and prayer, response, taking the Lord's Supper. Some of you are about to get to do it for the first time ever, according to the way God intended it to be, and that is inside of a relationship with Him, inside of a place where you know Him as your Savior. Your head bowed and eyes closed. If if you're here today and you know, hey, I'm I am I need to be saved. I need to be right with God. I'm going to tell you how to do that. I already told you what the Bible says. The gospel is of utmost importance. It's first importance. It is Jesus died. It is Jesus was buried. It is Jesus rose again. And the Bible says in Romans 10 that if you'll confess Him as Lord and you believe that, that He'll save you, and that He's the only way you can get there. If that's your choice today, if that's where you feel God leading you to do. I want to tell you how to do that. Right there in the stillness of your own heart, as humbly and as honestly as you know how, you could say a prayer similar to this. You can say, hey, Jesus, I do believe you did that. Hey, Jesus, I do believe you hung there on that cross for me, and I believe that you you got in the grave and you you rose, and I believe it's because I needed it. I needed it for the forgiveness of my sin. I needed it to pay that price. And so, hey, Jesus, as best as I know how, I want to confess you as my Lord now. God, I want to give my life to you. Jesus, save me and clean me up. And I'm going to do my best to continually never forget to remember your body that was broken for me and your blood that was shed for me.